Hi, everybody. This is Matt from the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We are going to be wrapping up Season 2 today and the episode. And then following that, we're headed right into Christmas. So our next episode will occur Tuesday on January the 4th. Tuesday, January the 4th. Ooh, a couple reasons. Happy New Year. <laughs> That's right. We are celebrating the Christmas season and also celebrating New Year's. But also, uh, old Van Horn is having a daughter, and so there's going to be a lot of a lot of things going on between now and then. And we wish you a merry Christmas and a happy New Year. And we will see you on the fourth. Does that sound good, Gandalf? It sounds great for me. I I don't know about how Nathan's singing voice is going to be though after after that that new one comes <laughs> comes along. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> it's a girl. He's going to be good. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you in the new year. All right. Without further ado, here's the, today's show. You're listening to the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. I'm Gandalf. I'm Matt. And I'm Nathan Van Horn. The Bible is the most read book ever, but to some, it is merely fiction. Join our conversations as we connect the dots to reveal that the story of the Bible is not only true, it's better than fiction. To learn more about the show or to contact us directly, visit us online at www.betterthanfictionbiblepodcast.com. Welcome back, listener, to episode 57 of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast. And before we get started, let me say a couple of thank yous. First, thank you to you, listener, for joining us every week. Uh, If you've been with us every week for any amount of time, then you know we've been in the um, the Babel story for quite a while. I was going back and looking at old episodes. We've actually been in Babel for uh, quite a bit since episode 48. This is episode 57, so you can do the math in your head. We do tend and to it's, we babble on. <laughs> <laughs> this, that, this reminds me of something my mom said. Like one time my mom was talking to my teacher, and she's like, Nathan started talking at a really early age. And the teacher's like, that's impressive. And mom's like, no, we never figured out how to get him to shut up. Well, Um, that leads me to the second thing is that thank you for Nathan Van Horn and Matt joining us as always, guiding us through these 30 minutes of discussing the biblical narrative. Uh, uh, Okay. This is actually a momentous episode because this is actually the season finale of season two of the podcast. If you remember, season one ended when we left Eden and now season two is ending as we leave Babel, both of which see humanity drastically changed from what it was previously. Mm. Mm. And if you if you want to stay on top of these seasons and these arcs and these narratives that we're laying down, then be sure to hit like and subscribe on whatever po- uh, podcast platform you're listening, because that's going to alert you every Tuesday morning when we release a new episode. And also it's going to tell the algorithm that this is worthwhile content. So if you believe that, be sure to hit like on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes, or whatever that looks like on the platform you're listening. It always weirds well, me out when we personify the algorithm. <laughs> algorithm, if you're listening, he didn't mean that. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, so as we, as we get started, uh, Matt made a good point. Uh, before we were recording, and he was talking about how this story is basically the opening title crawl, right? Basically, everything we've read up to this point is prologue. It's like the opening title crawl to Star Wars, right? Yeah. If you remember the the original Star Wars, uh, they they later called started calling it A New Hope. 
But right, the title crawl comes down before you see a single lightsaber or blaster or anything like that. It tells you what's going on. You know about uh, the Empire, Rebels, Jedi, Death Star, all of that, the political situation. Before you see that first shot of a Star Destroyer, you know exactly what's happening. And so that's kind of like what the Bible's been setting up for us. And and you kind of see, you know, Matt and I have had this discussion a lot. Um, If you... If if you zoom out and kind of see the big picture of what these first two seasons have been, there really is the Old Testament story and a New Testament anticipation in a nutshell in the first eleven chapters of Genesis. Like you mm. know, I've I've come back to the image several times of pulling back the slingshot, um, and so that that rock has a ways to travel, but but all the necessary uh, firepower ha- ha- is achieved in my mind by the end of Genesis eleven. I, I love that analogy. Yeah, so in a, just a simple chronology, if you were to take the dates of the Bible, at least according to the genealogies, and if you were to take that the Bible is talking about 6,000 years of, uh, you know, or at least four to 6,000 years of human history, um, so the first 4,000 years are talked about in 11 chapters. The next, you know, 2,000 years from to you go from eternity past to about 2100 BC in 11 right. chapters and then the Whoa. the rest of the old testament is about 1700 years yeah it's uh, so, that's it's amazing that's, yeah the the pacing of that is not uh inconsequential and um, when we've looked in Genesis 1 through 11 we don't see a lot of dialogue we're going to see dialogue as we move forward in Genesis 12 i mean much of the dialogue we saw was only between really God and man in the garden, the rest of it has really just been statements that certain characters made um, or groups of people have made. But the story is going to read different. Also, in future weeks, you're going to see that remember our whole thing that they're living the exodus and ultimately the exile. (laughs) But they're, they're, they're living the exodus and the exile while they're reading Genesis. And I believe that Genesis 1 through 11, we're going to see, has been structured in such a way to, to really inform us of the story moving forward. And we'll see that in coming weeks. But the reason we had our little digression into Job is to, in the spirit of this podcast, we're trying to be dot well, less, of, less of a digression than a detour. That's right. We're it's trying still to be part dot- of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying to be dot connectors. And when you read the book of Job, there's no mention of Abraham, no mention of Moses, no mention of David, uh, no mention of one of the prophets. And because of that, there are some people who wonder, well, why is it even in the Bible? Uh, because if you're looking at an English copy of you know, the Word of God, Job occurs much, much later. In the Hebrew copy, it still occurs much, much later. Why is it, why is it in there? Well, uh, that's not a question we're really going to address. The simple answer is because that's the Holy Spirit you know, wanted it in there, and that's why we have it. But when, as we've looked in previous weeks... <laughs> For all the dots we're connecting, we ultimately come to take it up with God. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Take it up with God. Why don't you pray on that? Why don't you pray on that question? (laughs) That's right. Um, But the the stuff that happens in Job chronologically makes most sense to talk about between Babel and the patriarchs. And so that's why we've gone where we've gone, why we talked about... Deuteronomy 32, and then led into Job chapter 1, and also looked at Daniel 4, and also we looked at 1 Kings 22 to talk about this whole divine counsel stuff. 
And the reason is, is to help you connect st- the dots and moving forward. And what we're going to show you today, uh, what we're going to show you today is we're going to look at, least at Job. try to. Yeah. We're going to look at Job on one more thing. And then we're going to take you to the New Testament and read you some passages that I know that if you've read the Bible, you already know these passages. And it's going to amaze you how you're going to be able to read these differently, not changing its meaning, but it's you're going to realize the fullness of its meaning. I'm going to make the pun. It's going to flesh it out. Flesh it. Oh, that's so good. It's a newfound. You have newfound tools in your bag. We're your better than fiction Bible podcast dot connecting tools complete with compass. All right. So anyway, there we're here to help. This episode is starting to feel like a blues clues thing. (laughs) That's that's right. So Nathan, why don't you uh, better? You had a really good point to wrap up here in Job. Of Job's anticipation. Well, it started with us wanting to go to the Hebrews thing, right? And then, you know, so last episode we closed with, you know, here's Job, here's the worldview of Job. In this worldview, a divine counsel is just a given. And we looked at a few passages in Job uh, where Job anticipated, you know, the, you know, the, the one of the thousand, um, right. where Job anticipated a heavenly figure responsible for mediating for him in some sense. Um, we're, and, and as we explored that, we said, man, there's a lot of a lot of stuff here, a lot of fodder that seems to directly anticipate what Jesus will be. Here's what's so interesting to me, did not occur to me until after the fact. Look at how Job ends in light of where Job is situated. Again, Job probably between Babel and the patriarchs. At that point in the story, we have no human mediators. We have no priests. How does Job end? Job functions as something of a priest for his friends, right? Right. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, this is Job uh, 42, 7 following from the ESV. Excuse me. This is Job 42, 7, following from the ESV. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My anger burns against you and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, For I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, went and did as the Lord had told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. This this book that starts with an emphasis on a divine counsel, that in the middle of it, has the expectation of members of the divine council being responsible to mediate in some sense for humans ends with a human figure who is mediating for other humans before God. And so it's interesting for me that this book that has little, you know, whispers and echoes that seem to anticipate Jesus. Again, when we get to Hebrews, what's so interesting about Hebrews? Hebrews will be kind of like Job. It'll start with this heavenly perspective in Hebrews chapter 1, and it will put more emphasis than any other book in the New Testament on Jesus Christ as our great earthly and heavenly high High priest. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, ding. And it's right at the crossroads between Babel and patriarchs. 
and, and again, so so much of that will come into play into Hebrews. I mean, it's just that's an interesting line uh, or dot connection for me. Mm. You, you tracking Gandalf? I am tracking that. That I never thought about that before, but that's big. Neither had well, I, for the record. Also, <laughs> the way Hebrews is written, at least in English, um, we're going to see here in just a minute it, that the the dots are not connected so easily back to Job because of the way it's written. But I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verses 1 and following. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, I know you've probably read Hebrews before, and you've read this, and it's probably strange to you. Why is the writer of Hebrews comparing Jesus, God the Son, to angels? Like that seems like a straightforward thing. Because it says that he's the son of God here in the beginning of Hebrews, looking in verse number three or verse number two, it says in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Well, well does it say that? <laughs> it, it doesn't. In fact, Nathan, why don't you help us with that right there? Yeah. So sometimes in translations, uh, even literal translations and the ESV is a great translation or we wouldn't use it for the podcast, but sometimes translators fill in the gaps of what they think the text is saying in a way that reflects their theological framework. And the his is not there in the Greek. Right. It's, uh, it's it just, just not says, there. It says through a, in, in the Greek, it is through a son. Um, so so and, just, just listen. And before you've listened to the Better Than Fiction Bible podcast, that may have sounded like, whoa, what are we talking about here? But now listen to how it changes it. Let me read to you verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So that may initially make us uncomfortable if we're thinking about the significance of the Son of God. Why is the writer of Hebrews calling Jesus a son. But if we have talked about the divine council and we have Job in the back of our minds, a member of the thousand, a member of the council, Hebrews is presenting here Jesus as a member of the divine council, except this member is unique to all of the others because this member created all things created the world. He's the yes, exact this, glory of yeah, God. So, in, in other words, this is not undermining or canceling out or anything like that. Don't hear that. This is not undermining Trinitarian theology because it's 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 qualifying Jesus as a son with with terms and ideas that could only apply to God the Son. Correct. But what, what Matt's saying is again, think of the worldview where for them the default basis was many sons of God as heavenly spiritual beings. 
but one of these sons of God is God the Son through whom the world is created and ultimately through whom the world will be redeemed. This heavenly figure who becomes an earthly figure so he can be the perfect once and for all high priest. So can I speak a word in defense of the ESV here? So you might be thinking immediately, why in the world would the ESV put his son there when it does not say his son, it says a son. So Gandalf, out of curiosity, does that bother you that the ESV did that? Um, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me that they did that. Sometimes when reading and thinking about like biblical translations, it, it does kind of bother me how, how susceptible it is to just, you know, human, human interference, so to speak, wanting to put, wanting to, wanting to lock down your own trans, your own interpretation a little well, bit. Yeah. So here's what I would say. The translators of the ESV, and it's not just the ESV, it's the KJV, it's the NIV, it's the NLT. I think uh, the New English translation, the NET, translates it this way. In these last days, he's spoken to us in a son. And, and that checks out. That's what it says. But the reason it doesn't bother me that the ESV calls it his son is because the translators are trying to do the same thing the author of Hebrews is doing. To qualify the difference between... God the Son and angels. They're just taking it one step further and adding his to emphasize to the reader we're talking about the Son of God. And, 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 uh, and you know, another example of this for me in uh, the New Testament is a phrase that you will see, uh, interestingly, later in Hebrews, applied to Isaac. Um, mm-hmm. And it's applied in the Gospel of John to Jesus, monoyenes. Oh, yeah. Only begotten. Uh, yeah, uh, we're used to hearing that translated as only begotten, when mm-hmm. when it really literally. I mean, you can you can hear it in you can hear the Greek in English. Mono right. one, yenes is the word from which we get gene. It's not yeah. one and only. It's one of a kind. One only one like this one. There's it's mm. it's not that it's the only son. We've seen plural sons of God language before the New Testament, and in the New Testament. But there's right. only one son. There is no other son of God like Jesus. There is no other son of God through whom the world is created. There's no other son of God through whom it is redeemed. Um, J- Jesus is the only unique son. He is. There's. There's no heavenly or earthly figure like him. Does I mean? Does that help capture it, Gandalf? Yeah, I think so. Only I, I like the way Matt says it. Uh, I heard this first from Matt, whether or not it's original to him. There are many sons of God biblically. There's only one God, the Son. I'm, I'm sure I heard that somewhere. I don't remember where, but that's too... <laughs> just, just take credit. Just take credit, Matt. No, I can't prove anything. Just, just put quotes around it and, and ride through life on the royalties MMP. of that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty positive I heard that somewhere. But uh, Gandalf, have you ever talked to uh, a Mormon friend or neighbor about the sons of God? I can't say that I have. Well, one of the things that our, our Mormons friends and neighbors would teach is that... that they teach that there are many sons of God and that, for instance, one of the sons of God is the, the Lucifer character. One of the sons of God is Jesus. One of the sons of God is Michael. One of the sons of God is Gabriel. And in the technical... Well, I, I have definitely heard that. And that that kind of... When my knee-jerk reaction to hearing all this, that kind of inspired that because Correct. I was like, hey, hold on. This sounds like... This sounds like saying. Mormonism. Right. So, so, for instance, in the technical sense, if we use... 
son of God and the lowercase s on son and lowercase g just to mean member of the council. Yes, Jesus is also a member of the council along with the others. But what Hebrews 1 is showing us in a few minutes, Colossians 1, is that Jesus is a council member, but he is different than all of them. He is Lord of the council and that he is the firstborn over all creation is what we're going to see in a minute. So, yes, it's true that there are many sons of God. The church of God, we're called the sons of God, but that doesn't mean we're God the Son. And so that would be the error that I believe our Mormon neighbors and friends have, and a very critical one at that, is that uh, there is only one God the Son, and He is completely different than all of the other lowercase s, lowercase g, sons of God. And I think that is the point here that's being made in Hebrews 1, leading into to but, which of the angels the, did to, God ever say, today you are it. my son. Which which yeah, is not a transition you have to make if someone only assumes one. Correct. That, you know what, to Matt's whole, point, you don't have to, you don't have to flesh out the angels thing in a worldview where you don't think about a heavenly council and sons of God. But the right. fact that you have that transition going from this one unique son to angels captures exactly what we've been talking about in recent weeks. Um, and we've, we've spent a lot of time like unpacking this and explaining this about the difference between Elohim being plural or singular and all that. And it just seems to me like the big problem here is just English. It's just... Well, yeah, so I, I talked about this. I talked about this last night. We were wrapping up a study on Bible, uh, you know, Bible transmission, how we got the English Bible, how we got the different translations. And I told them at the end of the day, you know, I say this to the editors of the ESV and everyone else. There is no perfect correspondence between languages. Um, and so uh, because of that, there's a, a phrase that gets used uh uh, in uh, translation that, that just has uh, traditory, traditory, um, and I didn't enunciate that very well, but it just means translators are traitors. You cannot move from one language to the next without compromising something in one or the other of those languages. You either have to be more sensitive and strictly adhere to the original language or more sensitive and strictly adhere but uh, to the receptor language. Can I say one more thing, though? I don't think it's just translation, though, Gandalf. I think it is the tradition we have of reading the text in a certain way and hearing it in a certain way. Now, let me say, I am not And translators has, are traitors. Yes, I'm translators <laughs> are traitors. Yeah, but I, I don't want to make war with tradition because God uses tradition to protect the church from serious error. Uh hmm. And so, again, the, you can have good traditions and bad traditions. Yes, guardrails are good. We, we don't want to, you know, uh, the, it is good to cons it's good to believe and realize that people loved and worshiped Jesus and believed the gospel long before you and I ever got here. And they, and they, were, they were faithful. So the, traditions are good and it protects us. But for some of us, this is just as we've talked in previous episodes— I was never told about a divine council. And it's not that the people that I grew up around or my teachers were holding out on me. 
It's just an area that they had never discovered or looked at. They talked about it in other ways, and they weren't able to connect the dots, like who are the principalities and powers. Well, I don't know, but they're in there, so I believe well, it. Well, well and so. again, it, it, it's just not one of the – especially post-Reformation. Post-Reformation, you know, you're, you're looking at what's our doctrine of justification, and so anytime you see that language, you you know, you, you follow that thread through the Bible. We're used to that. Um, right. Uh, what, what are, you know – what are some prophecies about Christ? And so you you know you tie that thread to the Bible, where anything that looks like it's pointing to Jesus and it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Oh, we're used to that, but we don't do that with this stuff, right? We don't hey. do that with the you know we have isolated in our minds. We have isolated stories of angels or spiritual beings, but very rarely, certainly in my upbringing, we we just don't connect all the pieces and say what does this suggest altogether. Um, and, and Matt, we've talked about uh, Colossians one. Uh, Colossians mm, one. Yeah, I cannot, take us there. I, I cannot get around Colossians one, um, fifteen through twenty, uh, speaking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, this is sounding very similar to Hebrews, right? For right. by him, all things were created. Don't miss this. In heaven and on earth. We we read the Bible as a story about what happens between God and people on earth. For the heaven is no less significant, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Are these earthly rulers and heavenly rulers? All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in, in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, that in everything he might be preeminent. I, I like the translation of the CSB, that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Don't miss this. It's not just reconciling sinful people on earth. It's reconciling and fixing what went wrong in the heavens. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, verse 20, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Mm. That, that, is, that is enormous. And, and the problem is the way we have been tempted to read the Bible leaves off about half of that. Right. It reads it only through an earthly lens and not through a heavenly lens. And there's there's just more to the story. So can I say in a, a word, and I know you're not chipping away at the reformers, but... Um, no, uh, they're, yeah, they're part I, I of that know. great tradition from which we benefit. Yes, but I do think it is the, the children of the Reformation, which is us. I think it, the, the dropping of the ball has been us and not them, because I was mentioning this to you yesterday. When, just think about the famous hymn, Martin Luther, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It goes back and forth between this spiritual reality, the heavenly world, and the earthly world. So I'll just read just a couple verses. The first one is, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe, okay, there's the ancient foe, think the devil, thus seek to work us woe, his craft and power great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. Now if you skip down to the third verse, it's interesting. Um, Oh, no, no, no. Oh, got to do the second one because it talks about it here. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, a man of God's own choosing. Thus, ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth. 
Nathan, what is, we know this. What is Sabaoth? Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts. Jesus, he is the man who is the Lord of the host. Here it is. That's the dual reality. Lord Sabaoth, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for Christ, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word will fail him. And then just the first line of the opening one, the last first line of the last uh, verse is that word above all earthly powers. It's interesting. He switches back to earthly powers. Martin Luther, he's talking about these two realities and how Jesus is Lord of them both. So it sounds like I think the reformers had a better grasp of this than us, but or somewhere some, between yeah, at least them some and of us. Them. Yeah. That, um, you know, well, and, we, and, and, and we've we know what happened. We know things. what happened. Enlightenment, modernism, that's true. Uh, you know, chipping away of any type of supernaturalism uh, in the worldview, all these, all these things. Um, Matt, I just want to say two things. Number one, I'm disappointed when you said you were going to do a mighty fortress. You I wanted me to sing it. <laughs> I, I want, first of all, I wanted you to sing it. Second of all, I was disappointed it was in English, not in German. Oh yeah, sorry. you know why? Because translators are traitors. Ah, uh, <laughs> so yes. a mighty fortress should have been. Ein, yeah, Ein yeah, Festerberg. <laughs> That's right. See, um, my German is terrible. <laughs> I said Ein instead of Ein. So there it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Genesis eleven has now come to a close. Next week, we are going to look at the very tail end of Genesis 11, but it's really a part of Genesis 12 moving forward. We have really, truly reached the end of the prologue in this episode. It's been quite a journey, and it's going to for- inform the rest of the story. I feel I mean, like, I'm excited. I feel like, I'm the, excited bab- about what- I feel like the Babel uh, uh, coverage on the podcast has been like hash browns at Waffle House. We've had the scattered, we've smothered it, but I feel like we've covered the subject pretty well. (laughs) Scattered, smothered, and covered. Gotta have it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Well, listener, if you would like to be covered and to always receive new episodes of the Better Than Fiction Bible Podcast, I can't recommend enough that you like and subscribe. That way, every Tuesday morning when we put out a new episode, including the season premiere of season three, very exciting, post-Babel. I'm very excited to see where we're going to go from here. The The pieces have been set, and it's time for the story to uh, really take off. So it's not, it's not to say that we haven't taken off from here, but I'm talking really take off. So please join us every Tuesday morning by liking and subscribing, and we will see you there. Until then, have a great week. See you next time. Shalom. All right. I'm stopping. I like that. That was good.